Welcome along to the latest Forever Blue podcast. It comes uh, just after the draw at Newcastle and head of the Manchester Derby. So naturally we're going to be speaking about both subjects. There's also a trip to Burnley coming up this week. Uh, thanks very much to charleslouis.co.uk, uh, the Chartered Mortgage Advisors, who are the sponsors of the po- this podcast. So thanks very much to them and uh, particularly to Dave, who is the, the guy in charge of them. So if you want to talk to a City fan and get uh, some real advice from somebody who cares and who is a fellow blue then ask for Dave when you contact charleslouis.co.uk you can find out their phone number uh, on the on the website if you go to the website I'm Ian Cheeseman with me tonight are Adam Harlan and Paul I know there are strong opinions that are going to be expressed tonight because certainly from uh, from one of the uh, the members he's, who's been chomping at the bit of the Forever Blue podcast I can sense that there may be a bit of a you know a bit of a a rant coming on, shall we say that? Um, so uh, <laughs> uh, there's lots to talk about. We'll also be talking about the introduction or the attempted re- introduction. Well, no, it was an introduction um, of a, a, a loud hailer at the Shakhtar game and a drummer. And that has really split the, the views of City fans. Uh, I put a tweet up um, showing a, a video of this, which has had a, a lot of views. And there have been people who felt very strong that it was a good idea. People who felt even more strong that it was a terrible idea. Uh, there have been criticism from the supporters of other clubs, um, almost ridiculing what happened, and yet there have been others saying this has been coming for some time. So it is really something that splits opinion. But I guess it, everything has to start with the latest result and the performance at Newcastle United. Um, Harlan, who's a regular contributor to my vlog, um, you, you recognise him as Gary Neville uh, rang me up yesterday <laughs> and said uh, I want to come on this week he wasn't, he wasn't doing you two to come on this week and, and he's now giving me the evils as we're sitting here so he's tr- yeah he's trying to get into the mindset now so um, so we're going to let him loose so uh, we're going to call this section Harlan's rant so uh, Harlan over to you mate sponsored by Prestige Car Repairs of Charity um, yeah bit of a joke though just to try and lighten the mood here um, listen the first thing I want to talk about is not even the result or the performance I think the most important thing to talk about is the reaction to yesterday's uh, point up at uh, St James and I think that there's something a bit deeper running through this fan base at the moment and I think it's an expectancy and a a real disgusting arrogance that is really starting to get on my nerves and you know you're probably going to hit out at me here and say well you're only 26 we've been going a lot longer than you I'm a realist and and I understand that it can get frustrating it can get annoying but at the same time when did we ever ever react to a, a defeat or a draw the way that United fans react the way that Chelsea fans react at times Liverpool fans We've gone, we've gone down the wrong route with, with our reactions to, to things. We don't look rationally at things. We don't analyse properly. We don't break things down. We just look at paper and, and talk in layman's terms. And it's just so, you know, reactionary and, and, and terrible, in my opinion. I think, but you know... And, and people are upset that City didn't win that game. Aren't they entitled to vent and say negative things? Of course they are. 100% you're entitled to, to, to vent and say negative things. If you weren't happy with the performance, say you weren't happy with the performance. But I think it's it's not what people are saying, it's how they're saying it, Ian. And I think it's, it's very... Um, you know, there's not actually any rationale behind what they're actually saying it's just hitting out and and throwing allegations around that players don't care and don't give a bleep and all that kind of stuff um there's no actual 
you know, I'm not saying everybody has to tactically analyse a game. If people don't go into that much depth, that's fine. But actually try and describe a player's performance instead of just going, he was this or he was that and he's useless, he doesn't care, he doesn't care about the club, he doesn't want to perform for City. Listen, of course he wants to perform for City. You know, Benjamin Mendy got a load of abuse yesterday. The guy's come back from an injury twice, a knee injury twice. He's psychologically struggling, you can tell. Nobody considers that. They just go, he don't care, he don't want to play, he don't want to perform, he's no good, we should sell him for £25 million to a French team, he's useless, this, that and the other. How is that fair on a player that's come back from two knee injuries when a player that suffered what he suffered twice shouldn't really be coming back as quick as he has done? You know, there's a lad playing for Bayern Munich, Kingsley Coleman, he said he's going to retire at 25 if he receives another injury the same. 25-year-old and he said, I'm done if I receive another. Benjamin Mendy, if he saw what, what, he's, what, what fans are putting out, I wouldn't blame him if he said, you know what, balls to you then, I'm off. Because I, I, feel, I feel negative myself, but I'm still putting in performances and trying my best to come back. I just personally think that fans need to, you know, give it a rest and actually analyse the performance properly is, is instead this, of just is, losing it. Have you seen this on Twitter? Or are you uh, on, on other social media? Or is this is this seeing this in the ground? Are you hearing this in the ground? Or is it just are you purely basing what you're saying here on people who are on social media? Not in in the ground, Paul. I've got I've got a group of lads behind me. I've got people to my right, people to my left. I've got people calling players when they're coming over to take short balls off Edison. Calling people when they're coming over to take corners. You know, Mares last season was getting it. He was coming up to take a corner and they're going, you useless bag of this, you useless bag of that. I can't, I can't sit there and listen to that. You know what I mean? I've, n- I've never said any of this before because I've not felt like it was the right time to bring it up. But if you seriously sat where I sit, I mean, it, it might go on. You might turn a blind eye. You might be, you know, concentrating on the game that much. I've heard some horrendous stuff where I sit. And it's not from people that are, you know, as we often talk about, tourist fans or whatever. This is from... Die hard blues, and I'm doing it with my fingers. Die hard blues that go home and away, that have been going for 50 years, that are coming out with this spiel. And I'm thinking, you would have never said that to Distan or Dumb. Why? Because you were protecting the players then, because we had to protect the players. Now, is there a need not to protect the players anymore because they're big players? It's rubbish. Adam's sitting there very quietly listening to uh, the start, because I suspect it is the start of Harlan's rant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, what have you got to say? I mean, because you're right in the thick of the same type of area that Harlan is yeah, in the yeah. ground. Yeah, I'm, I'm only about a block away. I, I don't hear as much as Harlan's getting. He might, he might be next to a load of idiots, but I, I, I don't hear that in the ground. I see things on Twitter um, that, that Harlan's talking about a lot more. I think Twitter is a lot more rea- reactionary than mm. real life. I think a lot of people that are vocal on Twitter aren't the ones that go week in, week out, although some of them, uh, of course, are. But I, I would have joined them in saying that we played rubbish um, on Saturday well it, it did play rubbish but there was players that, that didn't put in the game that we expected them to by our usual standards I think by you our probably usual mean standards, don't you yeah. Yeah. so yeah. by our 2005-2006 standards that was great and it was brilliant thing is now expectations have been raised and we used to look at United and go, oh, they're, they're arrogant. They, they, they take things for granted all the time. That tends to happen when you are successful so I think we now as a fan base are realising that we we are becoming Man United in that in that respect mm. that we are becoming a bit more expectant. But I think it's right to become expectant because we are meant to be this big this massive club now. All our ticket prices are going up. We're expecting everyone's expecting us to be great. Um so I just think that the club are putting more weight on themselves so we should expect more from them. I think it's silly to, you know, say, you know, get rid of him, let them go for free. They're not trying all that type of stuff. That is obviously players try. 
I, I, I wouldn't question, I, I personally don't question any of these City players' uh, will to play for the club. I just think that the, their performances this season certainly haven't reached the performances over the last couple of seasons. And I think it is okay to call that out. For example, I would say that Mendy, I would now sell him in summer. I don't see the Mendy that we've seen when he's come back from injuries a couple of times and he's throwing balls into the box that are great. He's working as hard as, hard as he used to. Now, that might be to do with his injuries, but I'm there to look at it objectively. And I'm, I do feel sorry for him about the injuries, I do. But football is it's a cutthroat game and we need to be at the top of that game. And at the minute, Mendy, for me, isn't good enough. Um, so, yeah, I think criticism should be given where it's due. I don't think it should go over the top as it is done by some people who are questioning things like effort and will to play for the club. Um, but obviously they're entitled to do that. But yeah, I, I do think we, we do need criticism. We do need high standards mm-hmm. because that's where we need... Because otherwise, if we don't have high standards, then the standards will drop. Mm-hmm. If, if yourself as a person, if you don't have high standards for yourself and set high standards, moral standards, things like that, they'll drop. It's the same for a football club. Um, so yeah, I think we need those standards. Some people overstep the mark. But I can see why we have the standards that Harlan might be more annoyed about than me. I can feel the passion, obviously, in this discussion. It's it's all, it's there for everybody to see. When uh, when I saw uh, Paul before we started recording this program, what was the expression you used when you were uh, following the game yesterday? I just said I was I was spewing after the game. So and and so clearly the passion. I, I know yeah. you didn't mean that literally. No, no. Uh, but no. The, the passion was flowing through you as well. So what you've heard from these two is it similar or is it something else that that is getting your goat about the performance or the game? Yeah, I mean, I agree with what both of them have said. To be honest, um, every every area in the ground has got its idiots. We've all we've all got one that stood near us, um, and he's one guy stands used to stand near me, and he, he used to slag Jekyll off every game. He didn't matter whether he played or not. He'd get mentioned. Oh, he's rubbish. He's this anyway. You get them. That's human nature. We all have a scapegoat. We all have. You know, we all have to blame something that goes wrong onto somebody. Now, you know, you know, you can blame it on whoever you want, but I get angry with players when I see them, and I will never boo them. I will never. I'll always clap them off at the end. It don't matter how bad they've played, because I know, having played sport, what a difference having the fans behind you can make. If you're, you know, the human beings, these footballers, and if they can sense if you're. You know, if you're nervous when they get the ball, you can feel that. You know, the atmosphere, you can feel the atmosphere. And if somebody gets a ball and everybody goes, 50,000 people going, that's a loud noise, that. Um, and they can feel it and they can sense it. But, I mean, I've never had anybody shouting at the, the players on the pitch. That's just ridiculous, you know, saying you're this, like Harlan said. And I'm not um, even lying about no, that no, either, Paul. I, you know I, what I mean? I, it's, I believe you, mate. I believe some you. Some of the stuff I've heard is absolutely horrendous. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And, and I've been thinking, and I've even said to Jess a few times, though she is, she's been mentioned ding. Um, <laughs> sometimes I've heard, I've even said to her, like, I was expecting him to say something else then. And what I'm saying is, I was, and, I, and I'm going to say this because I have actually expected it to happen. Mm. I was expecting him to say, or her, or whoever it is that said it, to go a bit further and say something like that we need to report. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like I've expected him to get caught up in the moment, yeah. say this, and then go a bit further and say something else. Yeah. And as soon as I, if I ever heard that, that I, my head would fall off. Yeah. I would genuinely be like, I, I probably wouldn't take in into my own hands because I'm not that aggressive, but I would genuinely be taking action on that and I I reckon there are fans in there that would probably go to them lems 
because they hate a player that much. Mm. So you've all very eloquently expressed your views to begin with, the emotions surrounding the game. I'm going to go through a few more forensic-type questions in a moment or two, but, but the next question is the question about where City now stand. I mean, as, as we sit here now, uh, Leicester City have won today and are now three points above City. Uh, City are 11 points behind Liverpool, 14 games into the season. Um, somebody contacted me on social media and threw this statistic at me, which uh, I, I wasn't aware of, but is an interesting one. And obviously... People love statistics, but in Pep's first season, after 14 games, um, he had one more point than this Pep team has in this season. So, uh, in other words, uh, this particular 2019 version of Pep's side is a point down uh, on the Pep team in the first season that won nothing. Now, that hadn't occurred to me. I didn't know that statistic, but I thought I'll throw that in the mix as well. And clearly, after the game... Uh, I mean, I hope people will watch the vlog that I, that I do every week anyway for different reasons. I've met a lovely lady who who uh, met, met up with a Swedish fan and, and there's a great story on there. But after the game, I got fan reaction and predominantly in the four or five voices that I spoke to, consensus seemed to be that the title race is done now. That's it, it's over. Now, I did a piece on, on, a, on a radio station called Love Sport and they asked me that question and they said, is that, is that the title race over? And I don't want you to steal my answer, by the way, but, but I said, <laughs> of course, the title race is not over. 11 points is, of course, surmountable. Of course, there's a long, long way to go. So to say it's over is ridiculous. However, if you're asking me my opinion of whether City are going to win the title, that's a different question. Yeah. And my opinion is City are not going to win the title. So there's two elements to it. Now, Mr Optimist Harlan, already shaking his head, <coughs> might have a different view. So I'm going to ask the three of you now mm -hmm. about this season's title mm -hmm. race. Where, where are City in it? Mm -hmm. um, there's a long way to go in, like you said. There's 24 games to go this season. You'll be pinching me, me answer now. <laughs> um, you going to have your own. No, th this, is, this is my opinion. Now, I, I'm, I'm an optimist. Um, I'm a realist as well. I'm realistic. I don't. I don't just throw things out there because I want to. I want everyone to go. Oh, brilliant! Look how optimistic he is. I say it because I actually believe it. And if I say something I don't believe, I don't feel what I'm saying. So I genuinely feel everything that comes out of my mouth. And like I say, I'm, I'm optimistic that we can win the league. And I want to go back onto the fans a second because if you genuinely believe that this season is done, then you you need to. You need to. I don't even. I don't, I don't even know how to word it. You, 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 you need to give up. Then, if you if you believe this season is over, give up. Because what is the point in you going to the games with that mentality? Like it, right, here's a generational answer to that. Then, which Paul and I have already spoken about, and maybe Paul should answer it rather than me. But we've been going when it was in. <laughs> I know people go, ah, you yeah. say all that, <laughs> ah, all that stuff. Right, we were going when there was no hope, when we knew they hadn't got a chance of winning anything. In fact, staying up or or yeah. winning a game once a season or scoring a, a goal, yeah, was all we could ever aspire to. We never occurred to stop going so I understand the sentiment of what you're saying mm. but because you're a younger fan normally you don't walk away because your fan your team's not going to win no, the league no. or not going to win a win a comp you know any comp I mean mm. any competition are you but that's not what I'm saying, I, saying? I, 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 I'm saying I'm saying how can you motivate yourself to get up go to the game 
come home, drive up to Newcastle, drive back, go down to the Emirates, come back, go to Stamford Bridge, come back for the rest of the season, go into every game, having to support the boys all the way through 95 minutes of football with that mentality that, oh, balls to it. Well, we're playing football, but what for? Because we can't win anything. Hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Me and Paul are going to Zagreb, right? <laughs> it's a dead rubber. City have won the... But we're still going, Paul, aren't yeah, we? yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I kind of get what you're saying, uh, Alan. Um, the, the, because we've had a taste of hope and we've seen some amazing football played, what's happened is this season, we've, you know, there's, there's reasons for it, obviously, but the main reason is injuries, I think. Um, the, 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 old, the old point of going to a football match is to be entertained. <clears throat> if, if it was just the fact that you were winning, then. I won't. I won't be a City fan because I, I we, we had no hope of winning anything. So there's a little bit more to the fact that. But I know what you're saying is is that if you're giving up hope now, then what's the point? You know, because you've got to have you've got to have a bit of passion. You've got to have a bit of hope that we're going to do something. Because that was kind of what kept us going, wasn't it? Ian? that the you know one day we might become good, yeah. and thank God we kept watching them yeah. because. If we didn't, we wouldn't be here to see it now because we'd have given our season ticket up. So that's what the dang the carrot was dangled with a with City. We we were giving out a little bit of hope and a little bit of a taster. But to- Paul, but Paul, <clears throat> you and I, you I know and you know yeah. that if none of this had happened, yeah. You'd still be going. Absolutely. And I'd still yeah. be going. You know, still be there, you know what? I'd still I'd, I'd probably enjoy it even more because I wasn't I won't be expecting any any wins or anything and a draw's a bonus. You know, to fact we've gone to Newcastle and scored two goals and got a draw. And one of them, that, by the way, was a, a worldie. Yeah. yeah, that would have been that would have been like a win for us. That would have been enough for us. That. So, I understand what Harlan's saying completely uh, in terms of um, if if the only reason you're going to games is because you want to see us win things, then I understand why you would give up now. But really, for a lot of people and. For me as well, it's more than just about and going me, there and and, me. and see. And, and I agree. I know yeah. for you as well, it is more than just going to see us win things. You want to see a good game of football isolated in ninety minutes. Never mind across a whole season. So I know, I, I know exactly what you say. I'm not saying that you don't, but yeah. um, I think it's about you know going with your mates, having a few drinks, having a laugh. Sometimes everyone's had a tough week. People might be going through tough things. They go to football to escape that, yeah. um, and it does a lot for people personally as well as just try, try to go there to, to try and win things it's more than just a game for a lot of people um, for me I do think that we're not I, I do think that the season not the season is over but the title race is over for us the season's not over because I'm looking forward to the derby at the weekend yeah. I'm looking forward to the rest of the home games this season I'm looking forward to us maybe winning a cup and maybe going to Champions League final or something like that I'm looking forward to that so I'm still looking forward the, the, the carrot like you say for this season is still there and still, still dangled in front of me but when we beat Man United I think it was on the 8th of December in in 2017, um, when we when we eventually ran away with it, we were 15 points clear on Boxing Day. We were eight points clear when we beat United Old Trafford on the 8th of December. I said, that's it then. I, I generally, after that day, I thought, realistically, I know aside from the typical City mentality, the, the neutral in my head was going, right, that's it. That's put it down. We've won the title now. I think we're going to win it. We'll go on and win it. So I think for me to then, in this position, say that it's not over and for me to say that you know, I think I think we're still going to go on and win it. Would be, would would be putting too much emotion into it. I think I need to separate my emotional side of being a City fan 
and then my neutral side. So I think I'd rather take the neutral side and say, listen, if I said that in 2018, I should say that now. Um, so I don't believe we can win it. I don't think we'll get back this 11 points. Never mind the gap. I don't think we're playing well enough to close that gap. And Liverpool aren't playing badly enough, even though you've had some poor performances, to drop more points than we are. Um, plus 11, really, basically. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I, do, I do think the season's over. But I also think... That there's a lot more. There's still a great reason to go to the game because we're playing brilliant football stills at, at times, and it's still a great laugh and it's it's great being a City fan. And I, it, you know, after a tough week, I love I love going at the weekend with with my family, and my three cousins, and going and uh, and having a good time, even though sometimes it might might not be great stuff going on outside of football. So broadly speaking, Adam's saying it's not going to happen. Harlan's still saying it could. What about you, Paul? Um, nah, it's, it, it, the league the league's over for me. Um, you are, you know, worried, are you worried that City won't even finish second? Because at the moment, absolutely, yeah. I, second, I, I, I think I think to finish in the top four this season will be a result. From being honest, um, two things: Liverpool are getting all the luck. They, they, you know, they, they're not playing particularly brilliant football. I don't think they're playing as well as they did last year. Um, they're getting a lot of luck. They've had no injuries. We've had no luck. Terrible injuries, and we're just not playing good enough. And I would, if if we won the league playing like we are at the moment compared to the last season's performance and the season before, I, I'd, I'd feel like we've conned the league because we're just not playing good enough to, to win it. Simple as that. Right, let's go into a, a more specific detail then. <coughs> uh, and I'm, I'm sure you'll have views on this. Uh, right at the beginning of the season... Um, we hadn't lost games. We weren't in this situation that City are in now. And I expressed a view that uh, Rodri had actually uh, caused a problem in the City team. Not because I don't like Rodri, not because I don't think he's got potential, not because I don't think he could be a fantastic player. It might be because um, he, he's got a period of settling in or whatever. But my analysis, for what it was worth, was that Rodri was actually the key to why City weren't playing as well. Ju- just because he was playing in what I consider to be the fundamentally most single important position in the team, uh, the position that Yaya Toure played in so brilliantly, not just because of his runs and his great goals, but because he set the the tempo of the game, because he dictated, because he was often the pass before the assist of the goal, and I thought he was magnificent in that role. Uh, when he went, the worry was that nobody could replace him, and amazingly, Fernandinho stepped up and has played astoundingly, and has sometimes been the unsung hero I I felt, even though people do seem to appreciate him a bit more now. But in the the season before last, I thought he was City's Player of the Year when other people were were not necessarily picking him. At the beginning of this season, um, he he wasn't... uh, Because he came back late, he wasn't deemed to be fully fit. So Rodri, who was signed in the summer, went straight into the team. And Fernandinho, um, you wondered whether it'd just be a case of him playing in... Uh, you know, Carabao Cup yeah. games and stuff like that. And that really alarmed me, I must admit. But then I thought, well, OK, if Rodri's what people say, then he's younger and all the rest of it. Um, then, of course, um, City did, you know, not look quite, uh, to my view anyway, didn't look quite as good as they'd been. So it was already concerning me a bit. Then the injury happened to Laporte. Fernandinho gets moved back to centre-back, so he's in the team. But actually, if... Um, Laporte had been fully fit 
My guess is that Fernandinho would not be playing in this team at all and that Rodri would be in that central midfield role and I think that has been a big part of the, the, the thing that's gone wrong. And when I made that view known at the beginning of the season, I saw people on social media, I won't name them, uh, but who were saying, ridiculous, absolute Rodri, what a star, what a brilliant player. And now I've seen that turn around a little bit and one or two people questioning. For example, when he came on yesterday and the, the winning goal came from John Joe Shelby, that Rodri was actually in the penalty area defending when a defensive midfielder should have been on the edge of the box, anticipating laying it out in that area and a shot coming in. So whilst I'm not entirely blaming Rodri, I don't want it to to be a personal thing because I have no personal axe to grind and still hope that he will be a magnificent player uh, for Manchester City. And at this moment, I have no reason to assume he won't be. However, I'm expressing the concern that for a fully fit Fernandinho in his position and another solution to the central defensive um, problems would actually solve what what's wrong with City, which people can't put the finger on at the moment. So that's my view. Now, the deep thinker that is Haaland, and, and of course, I'm not, that's not dismissing you two, but <laughs> the, 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 look at him, he's Stato. dead serious today, isn't Stato, he? Look at you him. know, so I, I know you, you will have a view on this, but not only that, but an ang- almost an angry, pent-up view. What is it? That that Fernandinho's best position, Fernandinho's best position is that holding role, and Rodri has no right to even think about taking it off him. Um, Fernandinho is a very good centre half. I mean, the game against um, the game, sorry, the game last weekend against uh, Chelsea, um, and you're probably going to even you two or you three, shall I say, are probably going to go, "What's he on about here?" I've not seen Van Dijk have one game. As good as Fernandinho had against Chelsea overall in one match, it was absolutely, utterly outstanding in terms of the defensive capabilities that he showed in that game. Blocking everything, taking players out when he needed to take them out, winning every header against Tammy Abraham bar one, um, he's, he's covering for full-backs. Absolutely everything that he did in that game was Utterly outstanding, and if Van Dyke is the best defender in the world or best centre half in the world, then Fernandinho is the best one in the bloody solar system because he was absolutely fantastic. But imagine that in front, imagine that in front, all that in front, and not only that, the attacking capabilities as well. We are struggling to score goals madly because Fernandinho isn't sitting in front of that defence because he gets the tempo going, his passing choices are better, he passes forwards. He always looks to, to, to advance us up the pitch as quick as possible. And we're not scoring enough goals because Fernandinho's not playing in that holding role. And that might sound mad to a lot of people. But we don't have to worry about that centre-half position that much if we're scoring goals, do we? No. no so we don't have to worry about that as much. <clears throat> people are too concentrated on us defending now. But last season, we weren't bothered about the defence as much. We were bothered about scoring goals. Now we're almost bothered about defending... Because Rodri's there, he's the problem in that midfield. We're conceding goals because you've got someone too passive in midfield. That's my opinion. Yeah, so I think it was <coughs> Palace away when Pep played both Rodri and Fernandinho at centre-half. After that game, I then would have prioritised the holding midfield role and gone, listen, who's the best holding midfielder in this team? Right, it's Fernandinho. Let's get that position nailed down first. So then that position is done. And, and you, you play Fernandinho, as long as he can do, we know that he's, he's getting on a little bit, so he, he, he can't play all the games, but first choice, that's that sorted. That's the most important, I agree, the most important 
uh, position on the field. And then you look at the centre-half. So then you say, right, OK, so who's left? So we've got a choice of Rodri or Otamendi. OK, so Otamendi's not been playing great, probably not good enough. Let's have Rodri there. So I think... In my view, even though I'm not watching, Rodri might be awful at centre half in the training in the on the training ground. I've never I've never seen him uh, play there apart from that one game. Didn't didn't look too bad really, mm. but prioritising the most important position on the pitch for me, I think, is the most important thing. And I think the choice to perhaps prioritise the defence instead of the holding midfield role has put us on the back foot a little bit, and has perhaps maybe even put a negative. Uh, mental slant on it for the players maybe because Pep's instead oh Pep's always been about you know attacking, we, attacking and attack and we'll, we don't he's, he's always saying you don't need to make tackles you don't we don't even need to tackle if we're going to score this many goals defence defence comes from going forward and being on the front foot so to me that the way he's dealt with this by putting Fernandinho at the back and not in holding midfield it set the wrong tone for me the players are now feeling like he's contradicted himself a bit and that his whole—I mean, the, the the system hasn't changed, and 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 the philosophy hasn't changed, but it it kind of has a bit, because I know exactly what Adam's saying. He's an attacking coach. We play expansive football. We're always looking to to to, to hit teams and hurt teams, and now we're more cautious about them hurting us. And that's like the men, like Adam said, that's the mentality that the players are probably probably um, feeling now. And if we're more worried about conceding goals because we haven't got Laporte in there than we are about scoring them. Your problem's there, isn't it? And that's that's what we're not managing to shake off at the moment, in my opinion. I mean, the, what gets me is, I mean, Pep, Pep's a tactical genius, obviously, and, and I am no Pep. Um, but the, he sends out mixed signals sometimes to me. I mean, some of his press conferences and things where he, he'll he'll say, like, you know, like, uh, Phil Foden's the best midfielder I've ever played with and all the rest of it. And then he's not even in on the bench at the weekend. Then he'll say like, oh yeah, you know, uh, John Stones, what a fantastic best central defender in one of the best in the world. And then he'll stick Fernandinho in defence uh, ahead of him. So to me, what th- that sends out strange signals. If, if I was John Stones, I'd be just thinking, hang on a minute, you know, we're missing a centre holding midfielder in Fernandinho. They, they're giving up his sp- specialist position to 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 make you know to mix and mend a back four, I'm I'm a specialist central defender, and I'm not I'm on the bench. What's going on here? You know, so to me, for all for all I love Pep, sometimes I just think he does he he does get it wrong, and I don't know whether it's because he, he he won't back down, whether he's stubborn or I don't know, I don't know the bloke, but that's how I I see it. And I if I was in that team at the moment, I'd be a little I'd be not happy, if I'm being honest. Obviously, I say obviously, it isn't obvious, but I am a huge, huge Pep Guardiola fan on and off the field. Um, everything I've seen about him, uh, I, I'm just so proud that he's Manchester City's manager. And uh, for me, I'd, I'd keep him forever. However, <coughs> I'm going to point out a couple of things that may be worth talking about. Um, if only in the hope that you guys will reassure me a little bit, because... <laughs> You know, I, I've been thinking about a few things. I've been looking at, at team lineups, and I, and I actually saw a tweet that you did, Paul, where you said uh, something about, well, you know, how can City cope with five key players injured? And then I thought, who are the five then? Because I can't think of five, actually. So um, I know Laporte, obviously. I know Sane, and now Sergio Aguero. Mendy has been an injury, but is sort of okay. 
Zinchenko, you can say, is an injury at the moment because there's an argument to say he might actually be the first choice left back uh, above Mendy. Um, but when I look at the signings, that the, who's made which signing, and I know that it's not quite as black and white as that because Cheeky Bagheerstein is the is part, partly a recruiter. Brian Marwood was before that. Ferran as well. Um, Ferran Soriano maybe, but but perhaps not to the same extent. Uh, but nevertheless, is in part in, is part of that decision making process. And then you look at different players of when they came in, and you can only assume that if they came in with the tenure of a certain manager, that that means that the very least they would have done is approve it or maybe identify them. So, for example, um, Mark Hughes would have brought in Vincent Company. No, that's how far you go back for it. But when you look at this current squad, and I look at the back five that played at Newcastle, Edison. Kyle Walker, John Stones, Fernandinho and Mendy. Four of that back five um, are Pep signings. Um, the only one that wasn't is Fernandinho, who was a Pellegrini signing. Obviously, if Laporte was playing, then it would be an entire back five. But four, some people might argue that that was City's strongest defence bar one player, that four of those back five were actually first-choice players. I know you can debate it here and you might say, well, it wouldn't have been Mendy for me or it would have been Cancelo. Well, yeah, based but... on the money spent and everything, yeah. And mm. the fact that Pep's brought them in, you'd deem that Pep's back five is stronger than Mancini's or Pellegrini's. So why, so why therefore, <laughs> I throw stats out again, is this team doing one point worse than any other Pep side has done with City so far? And why is this team now being questioned as being so bad defensively when so much money has been spent by Pep? Guardiola on assembling it. Two words, Vincent Company. There you go. Don't so, have to explain so, it. So why was he not replaced then? <clears <clears <throat> Absolutely, but you, you sometimes players are irreplaceable. Don't matter how good you could get a player on the pitch. You know, where Laporte, Laporte on the pitch, I think is as good as Vincent Company on his in his day. I know you put them both together on the day. They're they're like for like no problem. <clears throat> you ain't gonna get what Vin, Vinny gave you off the field. You ain't gonna get his his command and dominance on the field and his leadership skills. That's what we're missing. We're missing somebody on that field who is a leader. And you you, you don't become a leader overnight. You're born a leader. I know everybody sort of like says this, that, and the other. But you're a born leader. Those who are put on the planet to lead, and those who follow. And Vinny's a natural born leader. We ain't got one in that club at the moment. I mean, you could widen it out and say Gabriel Jesus was a Pep Guardiola signing. Uh, Riyad Mahrez, a Pep Guardiola signing. Cancelo, uh, obviously Pep Guardiola signing. And if I think about the players that have been the key players and the big movers and shakers for City over the last few years, it would not always be Pep Guardiola players. Mm. Yeah. Does that does that is that cause for concern? I mean, it's just something I've noticed. I've said already that I'm a massive Pep fan, and I don't want him out or or anything like that. But it is nevertheless just nagging a l- little bit at the back of my mind. Mm. Yeah, it, it, that is quite worrying, really. I've not I've never stood back to think about that. I in terms to be of, honest. I did think about it with Pellegrini because quite a lot of Pellegrini's core was still the Mancini core, mm-hmm. apart from Fernandinho, and that was a stick that quite a lot of people used to beat Pellegrini with in that first season. But yet we haven't had, we haven't held Pep to that sort of standards with our scrutiny of him, and perhaps we should do, because a lot of us, obviously tactically, he's been brilliant, and he's brought on players 
much further than they were under Pellegrini. And I think that is the defence that I would throw out there for mm-hmm. Pep, is that, yes, the main players over the last few years have been probably ones that Pellegrini brought in or even that Mancini uh, brought in, even Mark Hughes under Vincent Company. But the way that Pep has developed those to make them even better has yep, proved his done. quality of a coach for me. So actually, even though his signings, as we've mentioned, haven't really hit the ground running much at all when you look at success rate, maybe Sane, but bar that, um, he's not really had the success that he has had with the players who were here in the first place. So perhaps that puts more pressure uh, and more scrutiny on our recruitment process rather than Pep as a coach himself. Because I'm, I'm under no illusion. We know that things that recruitment is more than just Pep Guardiola. So maybe it's hard to put the whole blame on him and we should be putting it more on Cheeky and the way he's dealing with things and the way perhaps Pep has been identifying players that he wants. He looked at Sanchez, even Fred. I know he's gone to United. People say we dodged a bullet, but he might have been better at us. Jorginho, we nearly got over the line. Players that we weren't quite ready to pay that money for. Virgil van Dijk as well, because he was our first choice over Laporte, even though Laporte has been brilliant. Um, Maguire in the summer, there's no doubt that we wanted him, but didn't want to pay the money. So it's those financial situations as well that I think that have affected things. So to, to scrutinise Pep more heavily, although you did mention Cheeky, I think is perhaps quite harsh on him. So we should, we should speak about his coaching as well and, and understand that there is more than just him in that recruitment process. Yeah, with regards to uh, one of Pep's signings, this season and a player that we've already mentioned in the podcast here named Rodri um, not many of us knew about anything about Rodri we didn't know him from his, his days um, before Atletico uh, we didn't even know he'd done a degree before signing for us we knew nothing about him really when we signed him um, I'm usually quite good with knowing younger players you know with the first you know within the first five years of, 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 of their professional careers but I didn't really hear anything about Rodri and I didn't really know him therefore I didn't feel connected to him when we first when the news brought that we were interested in him. Obviously, Pep's watched him, Pep knows him, Cheeky knows him, and, and they know him from, from, from the Spanish league. However, um, I think that fans sometimes get too attached to the fact that Pep signed a player and the fact that Pep wants this player and then feel obliged to have to love them and, and, and never actually be able to criticise them because Pep wanted him and you can't ever say anything about a player that Pep signed and he's a magical central defensive midfielder that's going to be world-class in five years' time and Pep signed him so you can never criticise him. It's a load of rubbish. Pep made a mistake signing Alito once and you were supposed to then, what, Oh, Nalito's quality, yeah, Pep signed him. I like Nalito, I knew what he was capable of, but Pep openly admitted that it was a bit of a mistake signing Nalito. Just didn't work out, I right? think when Nalito said himself that he was going back because I think it was his, his son couldn't get a suntan or something, yeah. or his daughter <laughs> couldn't get a suntan, <laughs> Pep came out and, and admitted that it was a mistake signing Nalito and bringing him here because the player wasn't fully committed to the move in the first place. Rodri, for me, like Ian said, can become a world-class holding midfielder. But for me, to become world-class and to fill in for somebody and to pick up a baton from somebody else's hands, you have to sit there and study that player's, uh, that player's input. And Rodri needed to sit on that bench and watch Fernandinho play, study his game, learn the trade, and then step in and try and replicate it. For me, it was like Fernandinho was the man, Rodri's been brought in, and he's been asked to do something that he doesn't actually know how to do yet. And Fernandinho left there thinking I'm the teacher he's the student but the student's playing and the teacher's on the bench doesn't make sense to me but that's not that's not Rodri's fault is it that's that's Pep Guardiola's fault who's picking the team mm. I mean it seems to me that the way the team's picked was like you pick the team at school where 
you know, you didn't work out where the players are going to be, what positions, you just picked the best players. You know, so it's like, you know, we've got to get Fernandinho in there. Um, his best position's holding midfield because that, to me, is, is key and he's the best in the club at doing it. So we've said this earlier, he should be there, he should be nailed on and build it round him if if, if need be. Um, the, we're going about a shortage of uh, central defenders. We actually haven't got a shortage of central defence. We might not have the quality ones that we want in there. Laporte's missing. But we are not short of specialist central defenders. We're just not picking them. Now, is that because they're not they're injured, they're not fully fit? Or is that more likely because Pep doesn't trust them? Are you talking about Otamendi here? Because obviously Otamendi went away on the original international on the last international duty <coughs> and played two games for Argentina. Mm. Who actually I think they didn't they beat Brazil anyway. Yeah. They, they, he certainly well, no. played in those in those games and yet um, and I know there will be lots of City fans saying here that they don't want him to play for City, but the fact is he is an international mm. centre back, and yet In Argentina a team. Brazilian midfielder who, by Pep's own admission, um, because of signing Rodri, um, is now getting towards the end of his career. Yet he's being chosen ahead of either Otamendi or Stones because Fernandinho now has played every single game mm. at centre-back since Laporte's gone out. The other two have swapped around, but he hasn't swapped around. So by his actions, the manager's saying these two centre-backs aren't good enough. Not good enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says John Stones is one of the best players he's worked with. He signed John Stones. That's what I mean. And so we, we, didn't, didn't we break the record for a centre back signing John Stones as well? We did at the time, yeah. At the time, yeah, yeah. so we put a lot of effort into signing John Stones. I was a bit sceptical when he was at Everton, and, and the news broke that we were about to sign John Stones. And then I actually started to. I mean, I think me and Ian have have, have, have not maybe had a difference in opinion, but I think we've had discussions about John Stones in the past where I was I was trying to defend him when really. Was I actually believing what I was saying? And I said that everything I usually say I believe in. I think it was more that I wanted him to succeed, so I was defending him a bit more. And, 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 and I've actually started to see more and more often now, the more that I've watched him and the more that, you know, when Ian said, well, just watch him a bit more in depth and, and just try and study his game a bit more, the more I've took Ian's advice and done that, the more I've actually started to see that, is he actually the player that, you know, does Pep think that but doesn't want to say it? Somebody said on, on Twitter yesterday, and I know you can't obviously go off Twitter all the time, but somebody said about um, Pep's ego as that kind of taken over, the fact that he doesn't want to admit that he was wrong because of an ego when he should really try and let that ego go now and feel a lot freer then to do what he wants to do because I think the ego might be holding Pep back a bit now because he may be hiding behind this this um, this view that, that, that everybody has of him and I think that... It may, it may be time for Pep to kind of break that mould now and, and show a bit more freedom in his team selections. Um, don't change the mentality, don't change the uh, style, don't change the um, philosophy, but just maybe stop defending the indefendable now and, and, and start to actually, you know, give us what we what we need to see. And, and that's by playing, you know, players like Otamendi and Stones in the right positions. I'm not a massive Otamendi fan, but I wouldn't be playing Fernandinho over him because Fernandinho is not centre half, and I wouldn't be playing Rodri over Fernandinho because Rodri's not ready yet. So that's my my, my view on it. Mm. 
Right, well, we'll draw a line under it, though, because we could actually carry on having this type of discussion <laughs> for a long, lot longer. There's another couple of subjects that have to be discussed, I feel. Um, obviously, City play Burnley this coming week. If you're listening to this after the Burnley game, I think it's still relevant because it's a general conversation. And we're not going to really talk about the Shakhtar game, um, even though that was you know, another Champions League game. It was the one that saw City qualify top of the group. It wasn't necessarily the most rip-roaring performance. Performance, um, but it did its job. It, it did what it said on the. Though. Yeah, and obviously Paul was treated because yeah. he was one of the the Shakhtar 114. Um, yeah. although, you know that's another story. Um, but he did get treated on that game. But I do want to ask at that Shakhtar game what your reaction was to the fact that there was a guy there with a megaphone. We've talked about it before on the podcast about potentially introducing something like that as a way to solve the the atmosphere issues um, but as I understand it having talked off the record to one or two people who are in the know um, that that uh, megaphone was sanctioned uh, it was sanctioned by the club it was sanctioned as well by the 1894 group who were the group of supporters who want to try to promote better atmosphere inside the stadium it was an experiment uh, they also brought in a drummer um, <laughs> Now, I, I can't prove this, but I'm told that the drummer might have actually been deaf. Um, that, but I, I don't actually know that. Uh, that. That's not a joke, but it seriously may have had hearing hearing problems because people said he's, he was out of rhythm sometimes with the, the crowd. So I, if, if, he, if he wasn't deaf and he isn't deaf, then I apologise, but that, that was just something that somebody uh, told me uh, about him. Uh, and the, the guy with the megaphone, who I put a, a little video of on Twitter, um, which got a lot of views, obviously, um, had his megaphone down at the very front of the south stand and the megaphone was pointing at the pitch. And when I queried my contact, if you like, about that, um, they said that was the plan for this particular game, uh, that they didn't want to necessarily face the crowd with it in this one, this first experiment. But I thought, well... What's the point in doing it if you don't actually face it at the crowd because you're supposed to be a cheerleader? It's got absolutely ridiculed by some fans of, of other clubs. It's got ridiculed, actually, by some fans of Manchester City. And others have said, brilliant idea. So, whether this is going to become a regular feature, whether this will continue at the next Champions League game, which, of course, will be the last 16 game, remains to be seen. But, what you, I mean, particularly you, Adam and Paul... You're in that end. I know Paul's slightly further around or was in the posh seats for this game. But what, what do you what do you think of it? Um I just first on this, I just want to go back to the fact that we are where we are in the league. The title race is where it is at this moment in time. No, no, but I'm gonna get on to this. What I'm saying is No no. What I'm saying is what I'm saying is that the the atmosphere in the ground now might take a bit more of a hit. Than, than, than it already has over the years because of the fact that the season isn't going to plan. It's already quiet enough as it is. The atmosphere is dead. Fans have got a negative mentality. They're going to have more of a negative mentality now. I'm saying for the rest of the season, bring it on. Experiment with it. Do it now because I tell you something, if I don't start hearing a bit of noise in that ground, I might start bringing my own megaphone to the stadium with me. You don't need one. Do you know what I mean? You know, because that's a warning for you. Because it's getting, it's getting, it's getting frustrating. Because you know, we had more of an atmosphere when we were, when we, when we were having to give the players a bit of motivation. And I know, and I'm, I've defended the fact that we're in awe of the of the performances. We love watching the football, you know. And and I, like Ian, study the game. Adam as well. You sometimes, Paul as well. Um, and it, it, it's one of them things. It would be a bit of a distraction. 
but I want the atmosphere as well to be in the ground, giving the players a G up. And if anything, they need it more now than ever. And if a megaphone's going to help that and get fans up off the seats, get them going and get the players motivated, then I'm all for it. I agree. I think I'm open to experiment with these type of things. I've been saying I think we should have a drum in for a while. Um, ne- never really thought about a megaphone, but if it turns out after a few games we've learned how to hone it and, and turn it into this great thing, then why not? Because... The people that are moaning about it at the minute, um, I heard, I wasn't at the game, but I heard that quite a lot of people behind the megaphone were going, what the in hell is that? Um, and then were silent for the rest of the game. Mm. So I think it's it's annoying that people can knock the people that are trying to improve this atmosphere, but then they're not doing anything themselves or the, the atmosphere is no good. If it's, at ba- if it's poor, base level poor, then the only thing we can do there's no harm in trying something new mm-hmm. to try and improve it. Um, I think perhaps, yeah, maybe we need to turn around and maybe get more of the stand involved um, by turning it around rather than just pouring it towards the, the picture, sort of an empty pitch effectively, so we can't really hear it much. But I, I, I'm all for just trying different things like that because it's not, it's not good enough at the minute and we do need to try other things. And in a Champions League game like that, it is an ideal time because we... It's not, you know, no one thinks it's the, the biggest game in the world. No one goes there thinking, wow, you know, what a spectacle we're going to see here. It's a Champions League group match. I don't even bother going and I don't even mind saying that unless I've got a free ticket. Um, it doesn't bother me, a Champions League group stage game of that, playing against the team that we've played for the last three years, you know, whatever it is. So that's the time to experiment. So let's try things, see what happens. And if it improves it a bit, great. If it doesn't and... And it doesn't work, then it's it's knocked on the head, and then we don't we never see it again, or we don't see it for a while till someone else wants to go. I think there's no harm in trying things, and I think for people to knock it without actually doing anything themselves is just annoying, and it's not helpful in any way whatsoever. Well, there are three types of people, as I see it, who are knocking it. The people you're describing, um, the, there are people who. But there are also a group, of, apart from other fans, which is the second group, you know, fans of, of other teams who will ridicule yeah. City fans for trying that. anything. But then, that. then there's a third group, and, and it's a substantial group. And, and, and I'll ask Paul uh, what he thinks about it after I've said this. Because we've talked about it before on, on podcasts and all over the place, that, that there is almost, I don't know if the, the right word is snobbery, but there is, an, uh, shall, we, shall we call it, I think this is fair, an English attitude that atmosphere that isn't generated organically now how you define organically i'm not quite sure because there were a group of fans in front of me at newcastle uh, 18 to 25 year olds you know the group that get, get special access to tickets at away games these days and they were they were stood two or three rows in front and slightly to one side of me and they um clearly had a few drinks but were also very much the group that started the songs so that little group would sing and then it eventually would spread to the rest of the the crowd how is that different to somebody with a megaphone or somebody with a drum but there does seem to be some sort of peculiarly english thing of we don't do what the foreigners do with megaphones. We don't want this all orchestrated, in inverted commas. Uh, we want it to happen organically. So by on organically, I assume they mean by a group of fans who start a song. But I also talked to somebody about this and who said, well, even at that game where the megaphone was being used, there was one particular bloke right at the back of the South Stand who was who would start a song completely on his own at the absolute top of his voice, 
Nobody could understand how he could do this without ruining his voice box. And then everybody would eventually join in. The only difference between him and the guy with the megaphone is physically the megaphone. So what is there? Am I right in thinking that there is some sort of peculiarly English objection to to having this, as they call it, artificial stimulus? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I think when I think of um, you saying about it starts... It starts naturally. That, to me, is where the noise in the ground is. Actual songs and stuff like that are always started artificially by somebody starting a song off. You know, that's how the songs start. That's how we have to start. I mean, I'm in Block 111, so what tends to happen there? And, you know, I've got songs going myself, and you'll get a couple of you. You, you. you know, you start a song, then your mates around you join in with you, and then it spreads, and it's great. Um there is absolutely nothing wrong, in my opinion. I think Champions League matches, definitely, anyway, because they all European clubs do it. Um, we should definitely give it a go. I mean, Matt, the, the only thing I would say is that I was in the boxes this, this, this game and I only heard it, the singing and the megaphone and the drum and everything at half-time. I said to the guy sat next to me, have you got the commentary on your radio? Because I can hear some, some other sort of voice. And I thought it was his radio because it was like a muffled sort of sound, and it kept as as he as he the atmosphere changed in the ground. And I don't mean the the, the noise changed, but as the, the 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 conditions in the ground changed, you could hear the sound drifting around. You know, the megaphone drifting around the ground. The drum, for me, a megaphone starts the singing. A drum starts the beat of the song that you're going to be singing. It was the other way around. Them two were joining in with the singing so it was being muffled out so it didn't work for me so that's down to the people who were working it the drum wasn't loud enough the the, the drum that there were the, the, the sort of songs that get going in european games are different to the songs that we have over here we have sort of like very clever songs don't we i, I mean we've got we've got i mean some of the songwriters i think we've got bernie Taupin and uh, elton john <laughs> coming up with some of the tunes but the foreign songs are more basically oohs, ahs, grunts and groans. And boom, boom. And boom, boom. and a ooh, and a, yeah, yeah. Really and, go and it go. goes from what round the ground. So they're, they're not very eloquent, the songs, but they're like the Viking chant in the World Cup. Everybody wanted to do that because that was just spine tingling. And that's what the foreign songs are. So our clever, intricate songs, I mean... The songs we've got, you'd have to have Phil Collins doing the drumming to, to, to make it right because they're too intricate. We need different songs, and if they're going to do this in the European games, we need to pick the songs that this drum and this tannoy are going to get going. But it's a great idea, and those who are knocking it, it's probably because it's not cool. They'll probably just see it. I mean, a lot of the problem I see is this. When I go to football, I'm all in. I've, oh, I'm, I'm all in. I don't care if I shout something stupid out, because I do. I shout out random stupid stuff. Um, and I won't do it on the street. I won't do it at work. I won't do it in his car. I won't do it in front of my mum. But I do shout, I know, obviously not racist or things like that. I'm not saying that. But I let myself go. You know, I let myself go at a football. And if everybody let himself go at a football and actually got the passion out of the, you know, every bone they've got, that stadium would be rocking. Because we can do it. It's just literally some people, if they've not had a drink, they can't let themselves go. 
When we've all had a drink in that stadium, it's rocking. That's why midweek games are rubbish, because we're European. In the European games, we can't have a drink. And that's why the the, the atmosphere is subdued. Can't you can't be ground now, though, can't we? It's just because it's the work because of work. Yeah. You're allowed, you're allowed to yeah, pint yeah, in the ground. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Just yeah. the timings, yeah. isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the timing yeah. of it. We've all come from work. So unless you've been on the on the lash all day, um, you know, we all come from work. More, I reckon more people drive on a European game, a, a, a midweek game, because it's literally get in, get out, get there, get home, and that's it. You have a you you know the the derby weekend, which we'll probably be coming to. It'll be rocking because well, it's a five thirty kickoff. I'm meeting at half past nine in the morning for a breakfast, and it's going to be. We're all we're all going to be drunk and having a laugh. The atmosphere is going to be amazing, and it's that of alcohol. Most Do you know of what? it. I've I've got something to say on this because I've just listened to you, Paul, and I think your perspective on this is absolutely hundred percent bang on. Now you can get me a pint next game for saying that. <laughs> um, but no, in all seriousness, mate, I think I agree with you hundred percent. I just want to go back many, 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 many years and just ask why we ever adopted the Poznan then? Why did we ever start the Allen chant? Why did we ever do any of that then? If you know That was orchestrated, yeah. weren't it? We all did the Poznan. There was 48,000 people at the time turning around doing this dance that like Poznan had brought over mm. all together to try and create this funny atmosphere that encapsulates what City fans are all about. Absolutely. That funny, having a laugh all together now, let's let, all be a let family. Let yourself go. Let yourself go. And do you know what? I understand what you're saying with regards to drink, but the other thing is, we went through so many years, even myself, 26 I am now, and I went through many years of ribbons at school, and all I ever wanted to do was be able to go in that ground, and even though we'd sing and shout about Distan, and shout about, you know, Ayo Berkovic, and shout about Bernardo Karadi, for God's sake, because he was the best striker, or one of the best strikers that we had at the time, alongside Samaras. We even sang about Glauber Bertie when he came on, and we'd only seen him play for a tad of time. But do you know what? We sang about it, but all that passion, and on all that built-up that we wanted to get out of ourselves was built up for so many years so now we're successful and now we've got the opportunity to shout about something we don't do it that passion has surely got to have filled up everyone's tanks and we surely need to unleash all that now into that stadium and you know what that stadium is a beautiful ground the acoustics in it are unbelievable why are we wasting the stadium that we've got with no atmosphere well, uh, we obviously unleashed Harlan, but also <laughs> Adam and Paul. Back in cage, <laughs> uh, what we're going to do now is that we're about the length that we would normally be for a podcast, and we've not even talked about the derby yet. So, uh, so there will be a pre-derby podcast, a much shorter one, but just talking specifically about the derby, which we will release uh, a little bit later than, than than this one. So, if you're listening to this one now, there will be another shorter pre-derby podcast on the way but for the time being um, hopefully we've covered some of the stuff that, that's close to you if you've got an opinion and you want to share it with us then feel free to do so if you want questions asking in the future feel free to do so we'll try and accommodate that as well uh, thanks very much to charleslouis.co.uk the sponsors of the podcast who are chartered mortgage advisors and always open to your call to try to help you uh, thanks very much for listening thanks for subscribing and, and all that it's always free um, and we will do another podcast pre Derby. So uh, for now, uh, keep following the blues and we'll see you next time.